Welcome to the unofficial House of Wind book club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Night Court. Today we are discussing chapters 31 and 32 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. So two things. Uh, number one, I dyed my hair, and that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it was my hundred pound like weight loss gift to myself with some new hair, and I have had the same blonde like brown to blonde ombre for the last 10 years. I dipped my toes into dyeing my hair one time and I hated it so much, I cried for three months straight. I cut it from almost waist length to like a bob and dyed it red all at once, which was a lot of change. So I hated it. But I went back a little bit red. You can't see it now because it's up in a, a braid like a nun. But I love it. It's like red and brown and it was giving me like, very much tamed down Bryce from Crescent City vibes, but still enough that I was like, heck yes. So now when I look in the mirror, instead of it being just brown to blonde, like I've had for 10 years, it feels a little, little something extra, which has been great because I'm also like my whole, you know, life has changed, but I also have a new book series that I'm really obsessed with. And I think either you got me obsessed with it or I, I don't really remember how this happened. You got me obsessed with it. Okay. It is called From Blood and Ash, and I've only ever listened to them on Audible, so I've never held the physical book. You know, being in Italy makes it a little difficult, but it is so good. And I have spent, I think I added all the hours up, I've spent over 60 hours listening to this book series. Abby, oh my god. On Audible. And it's so good. Like I was listening to it before we were recording today and I sent you a message and I said, I can't believe I'm crying from this book. And I had gotten chills before and it's just, it's so good. So if you like Akatar, which I mean, you are now listening to episode 16 of an Akatar podcast. So I would really hope. If you don't like Akatar, why are you still here? I mean, welcome, but what's going on? <laughs> what are you doing? So... I'm hoping you like Akatar. I also know you will like this series. It's a four-part book series now. And don't quote me on this, but I think another book's coming out. Or another book by the same author, a different series. is Something like that. But Libby, now you can piggyback off. <laughs> yeah, we, we kind of talked about this for a second because you got me into this. And I also have only audiobooked it. Only because I made a really bad choice and decided to start like 12 different books at the same time to read. And I was... Yeah, that was stupid. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. I've been closing the loose ends on that. I'm almost not in book debt, if that makes sense. But to to balance it out, instead of reading another book, I audibled this one. So I listened to the audiobook on these and I was really into it one day and I was driving to Walmart to get get some groceries and I got like really into 
a certain chapter because like things were picking up and I was like I don't have my headphones so I can't stroll through the store and listen to it I have to like hear what's about to happen and yeah it was steamy it was getting spicy so I'm in the parking lot a little bit and I'm listening to this scene and like I look up and I see in the parking space across from mine is this older lady and she looks mortified and like she's just watching me and I'm sitting here thinking like there's no way she can hear this like she can't hear what what my car radio is blaring and then I realize I'm still deaf in one ear Abby and what sounds like a normal volume (laughs) to me is not a normal volume to the rest of the world it's not for normal humans so (laughs) I don't know whose grandma I corrupted, but I'm so sorry. I mean, maybe I'm not. Maybe it gave her a new lease on life, but oh my gosh. It would surely be some sort of a lease on life. Oh my God. (laughs) I hope it changed her world for the better. I'm sure she is now telling her her grandmother (laughs) all about this new book. That she heard some lady listening to in the Walmart parking lot. (laughs) Either that or she's praying for me and her group this weekend. (laughs) Either way, her life has been changed (laughs) by you. You're welcome. Oh, gosh. Abby, would you like to know this week's question of the week? I would. So the prompt that we wrote down says, like, what's your funniest prom story? But I think both of us agreed that our prom stories were both pretty sad. But they're funny now. It's been a good 10 years since we were in high school anyway. If you had told me 10 years ago that you'd be, I'd be telling this story on a podcast laughing about it, I would never have believed you. Are you ready for my story? <laughs> oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so in high school, I um, loved very hard like it was either all or nothing, right? Mm-hmm. I had quote fallen in love with my best friend my junior year of high school, and I really still think that I loved him. It wasn't just like a fad. Like I really loved this man, and so Young love. we were supposed to go to prom together as friends. But I don't remember if I uh, he asked me to later. Uh, we just didn't. I, I don't know. We didn't match each other, so we didn't look like we were going together, right? So we didn't go together. I don't know. Something screwed up. So the entire time we're at the dance, I'm wishing that he's going to come and dance with me. It doesn't happen. Like the entire night. I'm sitting back down at like the table. Ooh, I'm getting like flashbacks now. And I mean, we're sitting there talking, but he keeps staring at my best friend. No. And I mean, she had a really beautiful dress on. So I was like, he's probably just checking her dress out. (laughs) So we had something called post-prom, which is after prom, you go and do like a game night, basically. And again, I was hanging out with him, but the whole time he's staring at my best friend. And I still don't understand what's happening until I take him home after post-prom. It's seven in the morning. I've been up since 6 a.m. the day before. And I'm dropping him off at his house before driving home. And he starts crying in my car, confessing how much he loves my best friend. Oh my god, no! That's heartbreaking! This is the man that I thought I loved and like wanted to spend my life with. And <laughs> he was in love with my best friend. Oh my god. Did it ever did they ever even end up together? No. I ended up kissing him on the band tour later that Ooh. year and 
Then he threw up. Oh, no. What? Yeah. So now I think this is hilarious. I think it's very funny. But I was hard. I went, drove home sobbing from dropping him off at his house after prom. So that is my, my quote, funny prom story. What about you? Oh my gosh, jeez. Well, okay. The first prom I went to, I was a sophomore in high school. Okay, fancy lady. No, I, I didn't go my junior year, but when I was a sophomore, I went to prom and you had to be invited by an upperclassman to be able to do that. So the person I went to prom with we when we went there was a tornado that had just hit that area um like i think it was like the day before so the whole area was like jesus yeah it was a, it was a mess and we ended up having to take a different road to get to the the school to get to the prom because you know most places at this point when we were in high school were still doing proms at like nice locations no my my high school that high school was holding prom in the lobby of the high school building. Not even the gym, just the lobby of the high school building. I'm sorry, what? Right? It was it was awful, absolutely awful. But because we had to, like, take a different road to, like, avoid all the broken down trees and foliage or whatever, um, we, we got, like, kind of lost. So we ended up getting there later than we wanted to. And so, like, we weren't in the greatest of moods. Like, it was just kind of, like frustrating the timing and then we get there and like the school was like oh it's all going to be set up like fancy tables it'll all look really nice and so you get there and you're thinking like there's going to be food there were pizza bagels that was the food cold pizza bagels and I'm like, who ran to Sam's Club the day, like a few hours before the day of? Come on now. So, and, and you know, we're just like kind of laughing at all of it at this point, thinking like this is like a horrible problem, but it's just funny about how bad it is. I go to the bathroom and I come back out and my prom date is grinding with another female <laughs> on the dance floor. And I just kind of stand there and I'm like, oh, like full on. Oh, like full like I don't know how they were allowed to do that on the school grounds like that was a lot that was a lot of contact for the, for being the kids of that age that we were that was that was a lot oh my god what did you do he and I made eye contact and he knew he knew he messed up and so I just I beelined it back to the bathroom because I was like I don't want to see this person or be near them or dance with them or like I don't want them to touch me yeah I don't blame you right and so like he stood outside the bathroom and he kept like yelling out my name and I just was like no I'm just gonna hang out in here until it's time to go home because I don't so you you didn't you didn't even like pay attention to him at all i spent the rest of the prom night in the bathroom so that i didn't have to like look at his face i was just and then like i wasn't i wasn't even sad i was just like uh, uh, nope i don't want to be around you ew ew <laughs> oh my glibby i know i know it <laughs> But it's just funny now. We had some rough... You know what? This is why we need to go to the Starfall Ball with our husbands. We do. You know what, though? Okay. To be fair, my senior year, that's when my husband and I met. We we went to... Because we went to different high schools. So we went to his prom and my prom. And, like, it, both of them were so much fun. Like, they were... We had a great time. We went out to eat. 
at these really cool places each time and it was just it was a lot of fun like we got to do two really cool proms our senior year together okay well must have been nice to like get to do that because some of us didn't get a good prom experience libby so (laughs) it made up for the (laughs) hey you know what i didn't have to watch him grind on other people and so i knew he was a keeper no i knew i mean that's not why i knew he was a keeper (laughs) That's the reason you guys stayed together. Oh. <laughs> you gotta tell him that when he gets home from work today. <laughs> He'll hear me editing the podcast. It's like every time I talk about him in our podcast, he hears it when I'm editing and he just comes in. And he's like, did you did you say something about me again? I'm like, just wait. No. No. What? So he'll, he'll hear. What What are you talking about? James just knows at this point. I hope that if there are any like high school girls listening to our podcast, I hope your takeaway from this episode is that any romantic relationships or proms or any of those things, all those what you feel are horrible nights and bad experiences, they're going to be so worth it later on. A hilarious. It Hilarious. They're going to be so funny later. Just think of it as your character development. This is your growth period. And we all need one. <laughs> we all go through it. Well, Libby, um, are you aware just how long my chapter is this week? Are you even prepared for this? Did, did your chapter actually end? I didn't think that your chapter ever stopped. <clears throat> I'm not sure. Because after three hours of a summary this week, my brain has just turned into goo. So maybe... Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. I, I don't know. All I know is one character did not stop talking for a very long time, which means we're not going to stop talking for a very long time. So I think we should probably get into get into our chapters. All right. Chapter 31. Favor shadowed alongside Nesta as she inadvertently scared away suitors, eyeing Favor at the ball. Favor was distracted with thoughts of something being wrong with the blight, with Prithian, with deadly forces that were gathering to destroy Tamlin, and Favor stopped fighting and questioning. Feyre had allowed herself to be sent home, to be sent to safety. By two in the morning, the ball was still in full swing. Nesta had left at midnight without so much as a good night. Daddy Archeron strategized with colleagues, and Elaine laughed and blossomed amongst many beautiful friends. The next afternoon, they were all recovering and tired, as Feyre thanked them for the ball, but avoided answering questions about suitors catching her eye. Feyre struggled to find comfort in the summer heat there, and had tossed and turned at night, unable to get comfortable, remembering how at Tamlin's estate she was never too hot or too cold. Daddy Archeron mentioned he was thinking of buying the better land, and Elaine added that it should go up for sale soon since none of the family had survived. Feyre was interested and asked what had happened. Elaine told her that their home had burned down and everyone died, but Claire Better's body was never found. Favor tried to console herself, swearing to herself that it had to be a coincidence. She had given Claire's name to Resan. Resan had remembered it. Favor's father called her name, but Nesta hushed him sharply. Quiet. Favor felt guilt and disgust and terror and sickness. Favor grabbed Nesta's hand and told her everything that they had discussed must remain a secret. Something bad was happening in Prithian, and she would be returning. Nesta would need to have the family flee for safety or hire guards to protect them and scouts to watch the wall, then absolutely flee at the first sign of danger. Favor spoke to the entire family when telling them that the better's death should have been their own. It was meant for their family. Nesta asked if there would be an invasion, and Favor wasn't sure, but she knew that Prithian and Tamlin were in danger. She could feel it. Nesta followed as Favor went to her room and changed into a tunic and pants. Nesta told her that she wasn't needed here to go and don't look back. Nesta told her that they could take care of themselves, and Favor knew it wasn't an insult. This was a gift of freedom and love. 
Favor sheathed the knives and told Nesta that Faye could lie. Oh, an iron? It does nothing. But Ashwood would hurt if not kill them, so buy a whole grove of it. Nesta asked what Favor would even be able to do to help her high lord. Favor had no idea, but she knew she had to try something. Favor told her sister there is a better world out there waiting for her. One day, when it was safe, she would come back for her. But Nesta told her not to bother. She wouldn't be fond of fairies. But send word when it was safe. Nesta wanted to see the world when it was. Favor knew that there were no limits for Nesta and wanted to see what a place of Nesta's own could one day be. Elaine had a horse and supplies ready for Feyre and hugged her tightly and told Feyre she now remembered it all. Feyre told them all to be on their guard. Elaine fought back tears, saying that she would have liked to see the continent with her, and Feyre tells her that maybe someday they will. Feyre left and rode nonstop the first and second days. Eventually, her horse refused to go further forward against what had to be the wall. So Favor guided her horse along the side of the wall until she found a whirl, a gate. Favor guided her horse through. Magic stung in her nose as they passed through. Once through, Favor rode in silence with her arrows at the ready. She was ready to argue with Tamlin in his protest for her to return home. She would tell him she loved him, no matter what it took. She was so consumed with forging a plan, she didn't even notice right away the disheveled appearance of the grounds and the manor. She reached the gates, and her mouth went dry to find the gates open and bent out of shape. Feyre dismounted and had her arrows ready. She slowly made her way inside, calling Tamlin's name. But there was no sound, no life, just quiet emptiness. The windows had been shattered. Feyre's voice echoed out Tamlin's and Lucian's names as she called for them. Feyre fell to her knees. Gone. They were all gone. Tamlin was gone. For our listeners, for chapter 32, in asterisks I wrote, God's help me because this chapter is longer than my list of reasons to live. Chapter 32. Feyre let herself have a singular minute to kneel at what remained of the foyer before she began to follow the blood trail. From what she could gather, it seemed like there had been a horrible fight. From the remnants of the glass and the footprints from every angle, it seemed like the house had been surrounded. The front door remained, but the doors to the garden were completely shattered. The only reprieve from her terror was the lack of bodies. No bodies meant there was a chance her high lord still remained alive. She couldn't face the thought of him dying. She made her way through the wreckage to the dining room. She was unable to tell if there was additional damage from when Tamlin lost his temper on Rhysand's arrival, but thankfully there was no blood. She trailed the two sets of footprints in the glass from the dining room table to the doorway, where many more footprints gathered. She began to note that the trail had led to the garden when she heard a crunch from down the hall. Within a second, her hunting knife was in her hand as she scanned for a place to hide. She found none and had no choice but to hide behind the door. Feyre couldn't tell who it was who limped in, only that they wore a cape and were medium height. Slowly, the creature turned towards Feyre, and Feyre immediately recognized who it was. Alice. Her dress was torn and dirty, but she was without an ounce of blood showing. She turned as white as a birch tree before telling Feyre that she shouldn't be there since Tamlin had told her to stay away. Feyre only wanted to know if he was alive. Alice told her both he and Lucian were alive. With relief flooding her body, Feyre asked Alice to tell her everything. Alice grabbed her by the arm and led her through the destroyed hallways to the kitchen. The kitchen had been burnt to stone by a fire. Alice asked why Feyre was there, and all she could say was that she had to come back because she thought something was wrong. She wanted to help. Alice reminded her that Tamlin said to stay away, but Feyre disregarded that and asked where he was. The words Alice spoke made Feyre's blood turn cold. She took him to her court under the mountain. Feyre asked who, but deep down she already knew. Amarantha. Alice confirmed her worst fears. Farah asked why and who or what she was. Farah begged Alice to finally tell her the truth. So 
with a shutter. Alice did. As she gathered up any of the surviving knives and food that remained in the scorched kitchen, Alice told her everything summed down to two points. Number one, Amarantha. She was the high queen of the land. The seven high lords used to rule Perinthian equally, but over the last hundred years, things had changed. Amarantha went throughout the courts, charming the high lords. She weaved a web of lies to the high lords by promising increased trading, communication, and sharing of assets between Hybern and Perinthian. For the first 50 years, she didn't belong to any court and floated freely between them. Alice said Amarantha's story was both a legend and a nightmare to their people. Amarantha was the king of Highburn's most deadly general. On the front lines of battle, she was known to slaughter humans and any fae that defended them. Amarantha had a sister named Clithia, who fought by her side. That was until she fell in love with a mortal warrior named Jurian, who was a commander of huge human armies. Regardless of that, Clithia still loved Jurian with her entire heart. She was too blinded by love to realize that Jurian was only using her to get information about Amarantha's armies. Though Amarantha tried to convince her sister of that, she never listened. Amarantha couldn't bring herself to kill Jurian, as much as she would have delighted in it, because she loved her sister too much to hurt her. Not shockingly, Jurian betrayed Amarantha's sister. Once he got the information he needed, he then tortured and butchered her. He left the slaughtered remains of her sister for Amarantha to find. Amarantha's king ordered her to stand down, but she and Jurian were able to settle the score later. Since then, Amarantha has harbored a deep hatred of humans. Once the treaty was created, Amarantha killed all of her slaves instead of granting them freedom. When she came back years later, every high lord believed her when she told them that her sister's murder changed her. She opened trade lines as a sign of goodwill between the two territories. Little did the high lords know that the ships that brought over Highburn's goods also brought Amarantha's own armies. The king of Highburn didn't even know this, but soon enough everyone found out that in the 50 years that she was floating between the courts, Amarantha decided that she wanted Perinthian for herself so she could accrue power and use Perinthian's land as a base for taking down the human world once and for all. 49 years ago, she made her move. She waited so long to gain full trust of the High Lords, so much so that they came together to celebrate at a ball in her honor. There, she poisoned them with a potion stolen from the King of Highburn's spellbook. Once they drank it, their magic was stolen by her, like an apple being plucked from a tree. What magic remained in them was only very little, and definitely not enough to stop Amarantha from taking control of Perinthian in mere days. The people of Perinthian had been her slaves for 49 years. She has been waiting until the right time to break the treaty and take the human lands. She had been named the deceiver after tricking the high lords and building her own palace under the mountain in the heart of Perinthian. There is no blight. She is the sickness in the lands. She found it funny to send her demented creatures to the spring court to test the little strength Tam still had left. Feyre could have been the one to stop Amarantha, but Feyre could never have known. It was part of Tamlin's curse to not be able to tell her. Amarantha and Tamlin's families knew each other. Tam's father sided with Highburn during the war, leaving the two families to grow close. Thus, Amarantha learned of Tamlin and grew to lust after him. Tamlin knew of the horrors Amarantha had had a hand in executing and wanted nothing from her, least of all to join her in bed. Lucian was sent to Amarantha as an emissary to try to aid in peace between the two. When she refused, Lucian said, quote, to go back to the shithole she'd crawled out of. And as punishment for those words, she took his eye and scarred his face. When Lucian came back home, he was so bloody that Tamlin threw up when he saw him. Amarantha decided to throw a ball as an apology for what she'd done to Lucian and invited all of the courts. The party was a masquerade theme so that Lucian wouldn't feel embarrassed of showing his face in front of everyone. The entirety of the spring court was to be in attendance. They were to wear animal masks to honor Tamlin's shape-shifting abilities. Tamlin was willing to go because he thought it might aid in ending the conflict between them. He agreed to bring everyone. At the party, she said that peace was an option. 
only if Tamlin took her as his lover and consort. She tried to touch him, but he said there was no way in hell after what she'd done to Lucian. In front of everyone, he said he'd rather sleep with a human, even marry one, before he'd let her touch him. He continued saying that even her own sister had chosen a human before Amarantha. He spat in her face and she just laughed. Number two, the curse. Surprise! Again, there was no blight except for Amarantha. It all started upon the creation of the curse the night of the masquerade ball. She told Tamlin, quote, he had seven times seven years before she claimed him, before he had to join her under the mountain. If he wanted to break her curse, he need only find a human girl willing to marry him, but not any girl. A human girl with ice in her heart, with a hatred for our kind. A human girl willing to kill a fairy. Worse, the fairy she killed had to be one of his men, sent across the wall by him like lambs to slaughter. The girl could only be brought here to be courted if she killed one of the men in an unprovoked attack, killed him for hatred alone, just as Jurian had done to her sister. So we could understand her sister's pain. The treaty was a lie. Well, the part about killing innocent fairies. Alice told her she could have killed as many innocent fae as she wanted and never suffered any consequences. She had killed Andress sent out by Tamlin as a daily sacrifice. To Amarantha, this entire thing was just a cruel joke. She thought it to be impossible because humankind feared and hated the fae so much. All it would have taken Feyre to break the curse was to tell Tamlin to his face that she loved him and meant it with her whole heart. Amarantha also thought humans were obsessed with physical appearance, so she bound the masks to the entire court's faces including the High Lord, to make it even more difficult for Tamlin to find a girl to look past it all. Finally, Amarantha bound the entire court so that they were unable to speak a word about the curse. They were barely able to tell Feyre about their world, let alone the curse. When Tamlin made up lies about the blight, it was the closest he could come to telling the truth. Alice knew that since she was able to tell Feyre about the curse, it meant that to Amarantha, the game was over. In the early days of the curse, Tamlin would send one of his men across the wall every single day. He would send them all disguised as wolves to entice the humans to want to protect themselves and kill the animal. It worked. Day by day, year by year, so many of his men Men were killed that he only had a dozen left of them. It killed him to know that he had spent years killing off his own people, chosen to be called slowly, daily, to their death by him. It finally broke him and he stopped and called the entire thing off. Ever since, Tamlin has remained at the manor defending his borders as things continue to fall into chaos in the courts around him. The other courts, day, summer, and winter, banded together to try to revolt against her but it only ended in their execution. Amarantha had used the High Lord's power to bind them to their lands, so even if a mass rebellion tried to arise, they would have to use the few humans who entered Printhian as messengers, the children of the blessed. Sadly, Amarantha found out about them and killed all of the girls who aided the courts. The remaining High Lords were too scared to attempt anything like that again. Now all the High Lords in their courts were kept with her under the mountain, so she could torture them as she wished. Some who pledged allegiance to her and worshipped the ground she walked on were allowed to come and go from under the mountain. The spring court was the only court that was able to stay in their homeland. That is, until the curse ran out. Alice shared the reason she came to the spring court. Alice's sister was killed out of spite when Amarantha originally invaded. So Alice took the boys and ran before the summer court was dragged under the mountain. She asked Tamlin to hide her nephews, and he did. To show her gratitude, she begged him to let her help around the house. She was given a position at the manor days before the masquerade ball, meaning she'd been there for almost 50 years to watch the chaos brought by Amarantha. Alice watched as Tamlin tried finding any loophole in the curse, but never found one. He thought that if he was to find the human girl and bring her back to Printhian to free them, it was only another form of slavery to her. He thought if he did happen to fall in love with her, Amarantha would do everything in her power to kill the girl anyways, just like her sister had been. This led Tamlin to spend decades refusing to participate 
even with all the risks attached. But this past winter, something in Tamlin snapped. He sent out the last of his men past the wall to desperately try to save his people. They went willingly too, as they'd begged him to do for years. Finally, Alice said, Feyre had ran into Andres at the clearing and killed him with hate in her heart. Alice reiterated that Feyre could have broken it. All Feyre had to do was tell Tamlin that she loved him with her entire useless human heart and his power would have been freed. Alice called her a stupid, stupid girl. Feyre apologized, but Alice replied that she should tell Tamlin that. She left only three days before the 49 years were over. Tamlin let her go only three days before. Amarantha showed up at the house exactly 49 years to the second that the years had elapsed. She brought the two men and most of the court back under the mountain. Alice only remained because she was deemed unworthy by Amarantha too low on the social ladder. Feyre asked about the King of Hybern. If Amarantha had conquered Perinthian for herself and stolen his spells, then why didn't he see Amarantha as an insubordinate? Alice didn't believe them to be on bad terms. Hybern had not made a single move to punish Amarantha. The worst of it was that the creatures that were too horrible for even the night court converged to Amarantha and still did. She offered them a safe space. All they knew now was that Amarantha spent her days building her army and waiting for the perfect time to launch her attack to the human world. The 49 years had come to an end. Tamlin had not won by defeating her curse, so she invited all the high lords back to her court to let them watch her break him. Once Alice was done, Feyre's mind began to spiral. It was worse than anything Feyre had dreamed of. Her heart broke into a thousand shards for her high lord, who had known if Feyre remained in his land that she would have been at risk for Amarantha's wrath, even if she had broken the curse. She remembered his words, I can't even protect myself against them, against what's happening in Perinthian. Even if we stood against the blight, they would hunt you down. She would find a way to kill you. Favor remembered upon arrival how Tamlin had spent a few days trying to win her over, but had given up when he saw how desperately she wanted to leave. Even with everything that had happened, Tamlin still fell in love with her. And she? They both knew she loved him, and even still, he let her go. Feyre asked Alice if Tamlin were to gain back his full powers, would he be able to defeat Amarantha? Alice didn't know since Amarantha had fought and won using her brains, not her strength. But none of that mattered now, because the game was over. He was doomed to become her slave, and the court was to wear the masks until he agreed to become her lover. He'd never regain his full powers, and she'd never let those under the mountain go. Feyre asked a question that changed everything. How do I get under the mountain? Alice called it suicide but Feyre asked again. Alice tried to remind Feyre that she was just a human and her flesh was paper thin, that she'd make things worse. She was too blind to even see Tamlin's curse. How was she to fight Amarantha? Feyre saw red. She demanded Alice show her the way. Alice said no. She told Feyre to go home, that she would take her as far as the wall, but that's it. That there was nothing that could be done now. Tamlin would forever remain as Amarantha's slave and Perinthian would remain under her rule. Fate in the cauldron had decided it. Feyre didn't believe in fate or any ridiculous cauldron, but she believed this. If Amarantha was to kill her, at least she'd die doing something for him. Die trying to fix what destruction she'd failed to prevent and save the people she doomed. Tamlin would know she'd done it to save him and that she'd love him. Alice took a moment before answering, as you wish. That was so much information. Are you numb yet? Is your brain still working? I feel like that was the whole book in one chapter. And with that, that's our episode. See you later. Ta-da! There's not enough room for anything else. I was messaging my new friend and I was like, I feel like our bestie just went, Alice has been wanting to spill all of this tea the entire time. I'm just going to let her talk for an entire 16 pages straight. <laughs> Alice has not gotten enough screen time. Oh my, well, that's, if this was a movie, she'd have at least a half an hour. So no worries there. This is her episode. 
This is the Alice episode. <laughs> Hate to tell you, Alice now has the entire chapter to herself. <laughs> a-, a lot has happened. Thoughts and feelings. There's so many. Let's hear it, Libby. There are so many thoughts and feelings. To start, we're, I'm going to backtrack. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like hardcore backpedal here to my chapter. I noticed that with a little bit of freedom, Feyre starts to get herself back. She starts to say, I let myself be told what to do. I stopped fighting. I stopped being me. She gets away from Tamlin for 0.5 seconds and she finds her voice again and she wants to run back to him. Tell me how you really feel, Libby. (laughs) I feel like she's like, these red flags are so pretty. What do they mean? Like, I I feel like Farrah's just not getting it. (laughs) What do they mean? (laughs) No, I 100% can agree with you on that. It's very frustrating because I'm like, girl, You're so close to seeing the point. You're so close. You're almost there. She's within the grass. She could just reach out and taste it. And she doesn't. She's just like, you know, I'm feeling this way because I miss him. And I'm like, you don't. You are a strong, independent woman. (laughs) You are finally feeling free and using your voice and being a person again. And the second you start to do that, you just want to run back to him and tell him you love him? Boo! Boo, Feyre! Yes, because I love him and I'm in love with him. You're going to boo her right off the stage? I am right now. How do you not put two and two together? How do you miss those signs? Even Nesta's like, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. She just spent how much time telling herself I, I let myself become quiet i let myself stop fighting yeah you did you let him tell you what to do like don't just skip over that part of it you didn't just become a a feeble quiet person there's a whole other person that's part of this algorithm that you're just completely like passing right over there's no accountability for tamlin in this we could say the the most important other character in the whole book she's just going right over her head completely ignoring the elephant in the room absolutely irritating i feel bad because there's nothing we can do like we can't warn her i would love to warn her well and i feel like if nesta had seen the bigger picture she too would have been like no what is wrong with you but she's only got the perspective of what Feyre has told her and that this man has rescued their family from poverty and deprivation so she doesn't get to see the big picture of he's a shitty person he's toxic toxic that should be tamlin's theme song (laughs) it's fitting but i I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because all we know right now that is he's this great man and he's now been taken under the big scary mountain that we still don't know what is happening you know what irritates me about that though is that pharaoh seems to think she's gonna be the rescuer here that it, it even at his weakest lucian and tamlin and alice even even at their weakest any fey was like 12 times as much as Pharaoh was. And it's like, why would you, what are you going to do? What is you going under there? But I can fix it. Right. Like, what What do you think you're going to do? What is, what is it that you can do to stop 
this Amarantha person who is clearly so powerful that she's got all of them whipped. And, and you, you think you can waltz in and fix all of it with no plan? She's like, don't worry. With the power of love, I'm like, girlfriend. No. <laughs> oh, all you need is love. I mean, realistically, though, all she needed to do, this is what kind of made me mad when I was reading it, <laughs> is to say I love you. Well, you know what? All she, all you needed was love like three chapters ago, sure. But we've passed that, Feyre. You Now love is not the answer. Love is not enough. You cannot just survive off a, of love and a prayer and a dream that no, Feyre, you need to have more of a plan. Hope and a wish. She, homegirl waltz into the spring court dreaming about, oh, I'm going to argue with him. I'm gonna, he's going to know I love him. She completely missed the fact that the whole place had been trashed until it was right in front of her face. She just kept going because she's daydreaming about seeing him again. Literally, she walks up. She walks up to the house and she's nothing. And then she walks in and she's like, oh. Tamlin, Lucian, guys. Tamlin. I'm like, did we not see any sign? Hi, the lights aren't on, Feyre. You, there's nothing happening. The doors are destroyed. It's quiet. The gates are literally ripped open. I'm like, are, I think we're missing something. Bent open, yes. How did you forget? How did you, how did you manage to not see these things? If we want to get cheesy, she was literally blinded by love. Oh my God. Am I wrong? Oh, Abby, this makes me think of, I. you know, I think our question of the day was fitting with our youthful nativity of like prom stories where like you're, you think that you've got this great situation and you realize just how crappy young love is. This is it for Feyre. She is blinded and she wants it to be good. It's, it's a youthful situation where when you're that young, you want it to be a forever thing. <laughs> and it's just not Feyre. Right. And then, you know, I want as the person who grew up from that and looked back and just wishes I could go back and be like, no, no, I'm now shouting no at Feyre. But I know that had someone told me, like, don't do it, don't fall for it, I wouldn't have listened because you just got to go through it. You have to do it. You have to learn it on your own. I would have fallen in a heartbeat. You know, my husband even tells me that. He's <laughs> that now. He's like, I just want to tell you, do, like, don't do it. Or like, this is not going to end up right. And he goes, but I know you. Yeah. And I know you need to live through it in first person. And that's what Feyre's going through. We've all had those relationships. My sister's had them. I've had them. We've all had people in our lives that you just have to let that relationship run its course and they have to figure it out on their own. Because you know what happens when people try to tell you? Even if you know. Well, when anyone tries to tell you it's not going to work out, it only makes that strong, that love feel stronger. You're like, well, we're going to prove you wrong. What do you mean my ex-fiance? Do you remember that time, Livy? You remember that? Oh, goodness. So, yes, I feel like that's exactly what's happening in this scenario. Farah. So, I, I don't blame her because we've all had that shitty love. But at the same time, I'm like, girlfriend, come on. Doesn't it hurt to hear or like watch and read someone go through it though? It still hurts being on the outside. When she realizes that, oh, I, I stood down. I let them almost make me less of a person. I got complacent. I'm like, yes, yes. Oh my God, we're on the right track. And she's like, so I, <laughs> I must go back. I'm like, oh my God. You're right there. 
No, you're like, just keep going with the first thought. Keep going. You are so close. You almost did it, girlfriend. Oh, Feyre. Oh, I was so frustrated. But how do we feel about Nesta now? I start to like her more in these chapters. I feel like we got to kind of see more sides to her. Like last episode, she wasn't just trying to not be helpful. She had a lot of spite and anger towards her father, which is probably why she acted the way she did when they were in survival mode. I mean, we're not saying that that's okay. No, not at all. But but if we're trying to figure out why, then that's that. Right. It, ma- it makes sense how she could come to the conclusion that she was doing the best thing she could be doing. It's not right. I don't agree with it. But that's that I can see her logic. I can see where she got from point A to point B. And then in this episode... Or in this episode. Yeah, in this episode. With these chapters. Well, <laughs> not wrong. With these chapters. Yes and no. <laughs> you can kind of see how Nesta does kind of just want her sisters to be happy. And she's very quiet and reserved. Like, she'll do what she needs to do to keep herself safe. Like, she kind of bites her tongue on a lot of things. I gotta say, I love that she... Nesta was like, I'm just going to leave the party <laughs> and do an Irish goodbye and not tell anybody, because that is so something I do. That I'm immediately related. That is my husband's favorite goodbye. He's like, we just need to do an Irish goodbye. And I'm like, you know that our families are Midwestern. Does he actually do it? He's tried. <gasps> Skylar. He's tried, Abigail. And But okay, listen, you and I have Midwestern families. You don't do that. Goodbyes take at least half an hour on a good day. On a Minimum. Yes, at minimum, it takes half an hour to actually say goodbye. For him, it's like, if you say bye. That's after you've like slapped your legs and you're like, oh, time to go. It's still an extra half an hour. Right. And you got your second win. Well, no, Skylar, like, he would probably just get in the car and go if, if if I said it was okay. If I was like, yeah, go ahead and do that. He would. He would just dip right out. I am pretty sure the only reason he doesn't is because I don't like that. But, I mean, he's told me that's the way to go. No, because we'd never hear the end of it. No. But I'm pretty sure he does that at work. I'm pretty sure he Irish goodbyes at work all the time. Like, we go to, like, functions, and I I go to, like, maybe 2% of all of his functions. Like, he, there's so many things. Same. Right. And so, like, the few that I've gone to, he's like, all right, let's go. And I'm like, you don't you don't need to say anything? He's like, no, nah, let's just, we're good. Let's just go. I'm like, you go say bye to your boss or something. Like. Nope. He's like, time to get out of here. <laughs> he sure is. He's like, nah, like, let's get, let's get out of here. We're done. It's insane. Nesta's like, bye. And then. I mean, Feyre does the same thing. She sure did. She's like, yeah, I don't really want to say goodbye to my dad again. So we're not going to go through that one more time. Yeah. Okay, so that was that was your chapter. And then we have Alice throws up everywhere in my chapter. Oh my gosh. Info dump all over the place. I was um, talking to my husband venting? about it. Venting um, about Westie's writing. And I was like, I feel like I just got trauma dumped on (laughs) and he goes abby there's a name for that in the fantasy world and i was like what and he's like you just got lore dumped on oh and i was like you're right that is literally what it is the plot holes needed to get filled this was the chapter for that exactly but that's usually reserved for like video games yeah and you're going through and you need to have all this information at once i was like bestie we could have like 
We could have spaced that out a little bit. This was the part in the video game where the game suddenly offers you like 50 health potions and it's like, go through those doors. And you're like, whoa, whoa, why? You're like, maybe I don't want to. Maybe not. Here, here's this upgraded your weapon. You're gonna need it. What? What? <laughs> Alice is like giving all this information, right? I don't think we need to go through the information oh, right now. That's a lot. We will eventually have to go through but i'm just gonna let it sit and marinate in your thoughts for a little bit dear listeners but i love that after everything and this has got to be like 20 30 minutes of alice talking the only thing Farah says is how do i get under that mountain (laughs) (laughs) not thank you for the backstory alice not thank you for finally giving me the information i've been asking for for the last i don't know six months how do i get under the mountain girlfriend see if i were alice i would have just like stared at her for a hard minute and i would have been gone i'm like i'm no no she did that is a hundred percent what alice did but no alice stayed alice stayed no no i mean like i would have after staring at her i would have then just gone like i would have just i'm I'm done i'm done just left yeah i would have irish goodbye right then and there that would have been it (laughs) like no it would have been like that's enough i am done for the day (laughs) you you (laughs) bye one, it's um, 1.30 in the morning, so my brain is already fried. Number two, I just feel like there was so much thrown at us at once, and now all we know is that uh, Pharaoh's on a suicide mission to this theoretical under the mountain, and Alice doesn't want to take her there, but says, as you wish. And it just gave me, like, butler vibes. I can't believe Alice agreed to it. She just gave her all the information she needed. And then she's like, all right, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll take you. And it's like, what? No fighting. You're, you're going to do all of this? No. I wonder, too, like, is it going to be so bad that Alice is like, you just pissed me off. Uh, yeah, yes, I'll show you how to get there. Yep, go ahead. Right there. Enjoy. I don't think Alice has that in her heart. There's no way. <laughs> She's already too invested in this story of Feyre. I cannot imagine her just being like, mm, you know what? <laughs> Let me make this as difficult as possible for you and screw you over because you upset. No, I don't think it could happen. Maybe not Alice. I'm sure any other face. <laughs> Literally anybody else. Probably Lucian earlier on would have done that. Lucian and a heartbeat. We know this. I love that pharaoh was like y'all's iron doesn't do anything it doesn't do a thing quit wearing your tinkly jewelry bracelets <laughs> it's not helping well and then nesta like holds her is like what what you mean the bracelet the matching bracelets remember those that we didn't get you one what <laughs> you mean the matching bracelets that we never got you they don't work what the one we wasted all that money on for nothing I still remember our first, one of our first episodes we were talking about that. Like, how dare they? And now we know. You know, that's the ultimate karma. That's what they get. <laughs> you think? I would have loved to see one of them, like, find out by trying to be like, you can't touch me. I've got iron. And then they're just like, <laughs> you want to see? <laughs> but I love how she's like, the Ashwood's the, the only thing that, that will work. Have Elaine plant a whole grove a whole grove i'm so what how long is that gonna take how long is that gonna take well yeah you're you gotta think one to plant and grow it but then a whole grove of it 
Elaine can't even carry her own heavy watering cans. You want her to plant a whole grove? Please plant an entire grove. I'm like, how many years at this point does Favor think they have? Because do you know how long it takes to grow a tree? she's like here's the impending doom that's happening please grow a grove of trees for me based off of elaine's past though she will not plant it because in their history whenever they've needed things she's gone ahead and only planted flowers so she will plant you some ash grove flower you want an ash grove rose oh my god i got plenty of daisies and tulips you can't use them for anything, but they sure look nice. I know we were starving and all, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't plant vegetables. But now, Libby, now that we live in a mansion again, I can have a vegetable garden. Did you pick that up? I was ready to fight. That's what Pharaoh was digging. Last episode, Pharaoh was digging the new plot of land for, for Elaine's vegetable garden. How did we forget to talk about that? Yeah. What the heck, Elaine? Now that it's not essential? She's like, guys, now we can do it. We can have all the vegetables we don't need. Yay. Now that we're not dying. <laughs> it's not crucial for life. I'll make sure we have it now. You know what makes me mad? As someone who grows vegetables and fruits, is that half the seeds you get from the plants that you plant, you can put them back in the soil and they will continue to grow. You can continue to have a full circle of free food growing and it won't just grow one. It'll You will take one seed and plant it and it will grow a whole stem of more food. You will literally be able to make more off of the just one. No, Libby. Oh my God. No, Libby. We must only grow things that are not crucial to our survival. It makes me so mad. You know, like the doctor's oath. Do you know the doctor's oath says, like, do no harm? Elaine says, do only do harm. Only do harm. Elaine was playing the long game. Everyone thinks she's all sweet and kind. She's playing mental games and harming people, like, with her manipulation. <laughs> she's like, what? I'm just being all nice. I'm not mean. I wouldn't do that. She's like, actually, I just want to watch the world burn while everybody thinks I'm really nice. I want to say I really was sad to find out how Lucian lost his eye. But also, what a badass way to, like, give Amarantha what she deserves. Go back to that hellhole where you came from. I was like, okay. That shithole, yes. Oh, my gosh. Yes, Lucian. Good job. So proud of him. I'm not even shocked that he said that. I'm just proud that he did it. And it makes sense. Oh, absolutely no shock that he said that. Well, it makes sense why he was always like, you need to be careful about, like, the things you say and do. Because, like, yeah, and now he's always going to have that trauma of, like, he's not just a high lord son and, like, a bestie of another high lord and an emissary of, a, of the spring court. Like, he, he's not as protected as he thought he was if Amarantha can just come in and, like, take his eye out just because he mouthed off the one time. Libby, we must keep the lore until next episode. My brain cannot handle everything that got trauma dumped. It's it just feels like it feels like Bessie was like, I'm having a really rough day. Now everybody else must also have a rough day. <laughs> Here's every bad thing that's ever happened in this entire world. Are you ready for it? <laughs> have a good night. Why? Take a breath. I'm about to 
drop all of the information, all the stuff you were questioning this whole first half of the book. Here it all is. Here's the answers right here. In one go. You ready? Now go under the mountain and save us all. Goodbye. So I had a favorite quote. It was the wolf. Andrus had just stared at me before I killed him. Let me kill him. So it could begin this chain of events so that Tamlin might stand a chance of breaking the spell. And if Tamlin had sent Andrus across the wall, knowing he might very well die. Oh, Tamlin. I was very sad for Feyre at this point because she starts to realize how orchestrated literally everything was. I, I mean, at least I, I was hoping she would. That their meeting, it wasn't just she was doing something to protect her family. She was supposed to kill this man. Which also kind of frustrates me that Lucian gave her such a shitty time about this for so long. When it was all planned. It was so frustrating. Reading it back and being like, are you kidding me? Right. But I also wonder, had he not done that, would she have been able to appreciate that Faye weren't as bad as what she had thought and then come to then love one. I think it was just Lucian being a butthole. I think he's just enjoying it. True. I, I think you're right. I Which just makes me, it makes me frustrated. If it, it aggravates me because she didn't necessarily do anything wrong then. She didn't break any rules. She didn't step out of turn. They baited her. <laughs> they baited her and set her up. And she fell for it, and then they shamed her for it over and over again. It's just irritating. It's, it's irritating to hear how many times they gave her such crap and made her feel so guilty when she was doing what they wanted them to. They lied to her. It, I will never get over that. That is something that I have not forgotten about these books since day one, and it makes me so upset. I have three. The first one is Nesto, and she's saying goodbye to Feyre. She says, we don't need you here, Feyre. Do not look back. 10 out of 10. And then this is the same goodbye time, literally one page over. And it's Feyre saying this to Nesta. She says, there's a better world, Nesta. There's a better world out there waiting for you to find it. And if you ever get the chance, if things are ever better or safer, I will find you again. Now, Nesta ruins it by being like, please don't find me. But don't come back. It was sweet. The thought was sweet. And then the very end of chapter 32, after we get trauma dumped on, I loved how Feyre worded, the, worded this. It was all internally, but she said, if Amarantha ripped out my throat, at least I would die doing something for him. At least I would die trying to fix the destruction I hadn't prevented, trying to save the people I doomed, and at least Tamlin would know it was for him, that I loved him. No wonder she's a little emotional because she just got trauma dumped on. Yeah. You know, when you would go to like summer camp, no. And they'd always have that one. Oh, okay. Well, I never got to do that. <laughs> I also did not go, but I've seen it all. I mean, either, but like parent trap one. There's always that one night where it's extra emotional. And I feel like this was the emotional night of summer camp. I know, but that makes me think of like vacation Bible school where like you're going and there's always that one it's night. Cry where night. They, yeah, the cry night. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That this was Feyre's cry night. Oh. Alice is like, here's all the crap I've been dealing with that you never, uh, you couldn't understand. Get ready to cry. I got a little emotional for Elaine when she was telling her that she would have liked to see the continent with Feyre. I don't like Elaine. I had zero. I'm very glad you felt emotion in that. Zero. You know what, Abby? I don't like Tamlin, and I can still give you half the crap he says. I'm like, grow a freaking zucchini. 
Lane. <laughs> That's all I feel towards you now. Well, good thing she is now. They may not need it, but she she is now. Oh, yeah. It's not important now, but don't you worry. She's going to do it. Anybody hungry? No? Oops. Yeah, I got no symp- sympathy for that woman. I know I should because she, she just... She's going through some stuff and she wasn't trying to be a horrible human and she's not a horrible human, but I just have no love towards her. If we've learned anything from any of Bestie SJM's books, it's that you can't trust the first perception of a character. Hey guys, it is my personal favorite time of the week. You guys know, star of the week. This week we've got a very... Very fantastic star of the week. It is Book Talk Book Club. You can find them on both Instagram and TikTok at at Book Talk Book Club. All one word, no spaces. They are a group of Aussie book talkers all in one place. So they've actually got a little recording for you guys. I'll let them take it from here. Hey girls, thank you for featuring us on your podcast. Uh, my name is Haley, and I am from Book Talk Book Club. We made this book club a couple of years ago now, uh, 2020, just outside of the COVID pandemic. And we all met via this viral video on TikTok that was like, where are you from? And we kind of commented on each other's TikTok and we realized that we, some of us lived in the same area on the Gold Coast and others lived in Sydney, Melbourne and different parts of Australia. So we were able to connect over not only our location, but obviously our love of books. So Chloe Berry is the kind of founder of it all. She connected everybody, made the group, uh, was super keen to make something on social media and form a book club. And then the first meeting was at my house and we kind of talked about different books and like what we liked and what we didn't like and all of those kinds of things. So it was kind of the formation of a book club and a friendship that which has continued on to this day. And we've had, um, we had 13 members in total and then some have dropped off. So we have uh, 11 now. So it's a wide variety, which makes our book club so unique and great because some of us read horror Others read romance, others read uh, really hardcore dark romance, and others read fantasy, fantasy romance. Uh, We have lots of different people reading lots of different genres across different things. So it's what makes our book club unique. And we mainly focus on fiction rather than nonfiction, but a couple of times we have expanded into the nonfiction world. We also have some writers in our club as well, aspiring writers, one of which is Lauren Jackson. She self-published a book called Meant to Be last year uh, about a small town romance, second chance romance, and it did really well self-publishing. And she's really quite big on socials now as well. And she wrote another one called Die For You, which is a romanticy vampire romance and she's writing uh, another trilogy now as well but the exciting thing about all of that is that she obviously is very inspiring for other writers uh, in the group but she also has just got a publishing deal by Penguin and so her um, both her books meant to be and die for you are now going to be traditionally published and on bookshelves on October 3rd which we're all very excited to uh, witness and support her and um, I think it's 
really paved a way for more people to see a writer's journey, uh, especially a local author in Australia, because sometimes you can't get that information. So we're all really excited to kind of expand on that journey and talk about it and uh, share it on our book club. We've also recently had the opportunity to get involved in local events with our library on the Gold Coast. And there's a couple of things in Sydney that some of the girls have gone for as well. Uh, one of our members, Chloe, actually, she works for HarperCollins Publishing, which has been incredible to see her journey. So lots of different things have come to us on uh, this journey with the book club, which has been great. Uh, but it's been a wonderful to support community authors and local authors and just go to these events and um, speak with the other people who are passionate readers uh, because like obviously it's quite a solitude uh, experience so it's nice to meet readers in real life and know that you're not alone in your love of books. Um, so yeah, it's been really, really great so far and we're really excited to see where the journey will take us in a couple of years further down the road. Uh, social media, of course, is always a wonderful challenge to get seen on uh, people's feed. Uh, and we've had to kind of come up with different strategies to evolve and go around that. We post every single day in order to combat the kind of algorithm nightmare that sometimes happens. Um, so we have people who are dedicated, members who are dedicated on particular days so that we're able to combat that. So for me, example, I have a day with Chloe that we call Fantasy Fridays. So it's all about fantasy on Fridays and other girls have um, like Murder Mondays, which is all about thriller uh, horror, that kind of thing. So there's like different genres for each day, which has been really cool. And I think it's something we'll definitely keep as a theme. And then we kind of meet up, uh, every month to kind of discuss our lives and talk about books and things we're watching and all of that good stuff. So it's, um, been a wonderful journey that's turned into some wonderful friendships. So that's it for me. Um, Thank you so much for having us on the podcast. We're really excited to listen to this episode and support you girls further and uh, all the best with your future interviews and recordings. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you guys. Send us an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com or slide into our Instagram DMs. Tell us everything. That's it. Yeah, I'm not even, I'm, I got nothing more for you guys. You guys never <laughs> missed. Tell us everything that you haven't. So we're mad at you. Okay, bye. <laughs> we miss you and you don't talk to us. It's like, it's like my high school love. Aww. They're probably in love with another They're podcast. They're probably listening to some other podcast. You know what? You enjoy that other podcast grinding up on you. We're going to go hide in the bathroom. Yeah. Screw you. They're cold pizza bagels. Disgusting cold pizza bagels. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. Fuck bitches get money. No. And that's what I'm leaving in. <laughs> no. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We will see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. Don't let the late nights win. Don't let 1.53 in the morning win. You can do hard things. Thank you for me from the dark. Here's the man on the fly. Thanks me. Taking home my feelings, you in my head, you in my heart. Ah.
I'm afraid of dog. Skyler just, I don't even know. He said, he texted me W-B-U-S-A. I don't even know what that's supposed to say. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> what was it? He said, he texted me and was like, dinner. And I was like, I did like the shrug emoji and did W-B-U. Like, what about you? And he was like, honestly feeling pizza for some reason. I said, okay. And then he texted back W-B-U-S-A-B. And so I was like, huh? He said, what about you sexy ass bitch? <laughs> we also had pizza tonight. So all of the above. Good job, Skylar.